Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans and each week we discuss a different movie about, starring or inspired by the Beatles. And we've come to the end of our second season, so we're honouring, well, ourselves uh, this week by taking a deep dive into 1967's made-for-TV bonafide Beatles adventure, Magical Mystery Tour, which was loosely directed and even more loosely written by the band themselves. And if we have calculated our schedule correctly, this episode has been released on what is the 55th anniversary of the original broadcast of that movie, airing as it did on BBC One on Boxing Day. Although it initially received a critical mauling, which many put down to this trippy, psychedelic, visually outlandish film being shown in black and white, it was repeated 10 days later in full colour on BBC Two and got much the same reaction. So it marks the Beatles' first major critical failure, but like so much of the group's output during their career, was it just ahead of its time? So Ed, first question for you. Given that all film appreciation, to some extent, is largely subjective, and therefore it could be argued that the only true measure of a film's value is how much it realises the filmmaker's original artistic vision, does this movie live up to Paul McCartney's doodle of a circle and some scribbles? <laughs> oh, it, it, it more than lives up to it, I, I would say. Uh, I mean, in terms of the films I've seen that were literally planned on a piece of paper uh, with a circle and no script, it, I mean, it's right up there with the best of them, I would say. Um, I, I think it is fair to say that the whole thing is a bit ramshackle. I don't think that's a big surprise to anyone. Um, I think uh, at the same time, the interesting thing about it is that this is probably the first thing they ever did that had uh, absolutely no commercial interest in it whatsoever, other than the fact that it was being shown um, on the BBC primetime uh, at Christmas. Uh, that is a sort of... Uh, commercial venture for sure but the actual uh piece of art itself uh no one in it is trying to further the beatles brand at all is that, <laughs> no, is no that one right? in it is, is I, I don't think so at all i mean yeah there's um no, it, 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 it's kind of significant that this is the first thing they've done since brian epstein died um and that there is almost a feeling of, I'm not going to say being let off the leash, because I don't think he was, you know, he had them on a leash. But in, uh, but certainly he was um, one of the people, probably the main person in the room who was 
trying to make them uh, behave commercially to some degree or another. Um, and uh, certainly later on, I think there are things about specific songs uh, where this is particularly pertinent. But yeah, for me, uh, the, the, <laughs> there's a reason this was so uh, unpopular at the time, and that's because they weren't trying to entertain anybody, perhaps for the first time in their career. So do you think that was... I guess I kind of always assumed that them... Uh, the 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 nature of this film and the nature of the songs that they're recording at this time uh, was just like a natural evolution for the band. But I guess I kind of thought that the band assumed the fans would follow them on that journey. I, I it, do you think it was conscious, uh, a conscious artistic move on their part that when they released this film in particular, obviously, but you know, I guess some of, some of the music choices that they made along the way that they saw it as more as an artistic endeavour that actually they knew was going to possibly isolate themselves from the uh, the fans or from public opinion at the time? Uh, I'm not sure how uh, deliberate a move to... Well, certainly, you know, they weren't sort of consciously trying to alienate fans or, or, or anything like that, I don't think. Uh, but I think certainly um, there's a point in... There's a point in John Lennon's career when he certainly... Um, stopped trying to entertain an, an audience and very, very deliberately started trying to uh, provoke his audience. Uh, and I think I, uh, like I Am The Warus is the sort of... F- when I was watching their performance of I Am The Warus and this, I thought, oh, this is this is the point for him, isn't it? This is the the point at which he is not... Um, he's not trying to... Uh, <laughs> there's no, there's nothing of sort of of Beetle John in this at all. He mm. is uh, it, it's it, it's nuts and it's challenging and there are bits of it that are quite unsettling. Um, and uh, yeah, but I think even um, you know Paul, who's kind of always traditionally seen as the most commercially minded one, um, this is largely his baby, right? I mean, it's a, you know he's he's the one who's kind of driving it if reports are to be believed and um uh and you know th- this is th- this is not a um this <laughs> this is not a sort of watchable uh you know family christmas time viewing uh even with you know supposedly cuddly paul mccartney at the helm of it you know something very different is going on here uh, and it's not an accident yeah that's really interesting because i i guess i you know one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about was I think that one of the justifications, not even justification, one of the arguments put forward for why this film didn't seem to land with its audience at the time was down to the band's hubris. And, you know, this this sort of general belief that everything they did, everything they touched turned to gold, you know, no matter what they did, it was always absolutely brilliant. Um, they This is just coming off the back of Sgt. Pepper's, although... I think they started recording the title track for this and started had the idea for the film before that album was released. But obviously, certainly up until that point, I think that there was a reason for the band to believe that they uh, were ju- every- everything they did was absolutely brilliant and it was going to receive a huge critical acclaim. Mm. I hadn't really occurred to me that, um, the the other side of that argument, which might be that they might be deliberately doing something they which they knew was going to come across as controversial. So I, so I guess the question is how how much how much of that is down to sort of you know uh, too much self confidence, and how much is it ju- is them being self aware? Well, I, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's either particularly. I think it's more that they're just sort of interested in different things now, and they're more interested in the avant garde and their. Um, Less interested in the uh, the the confines of uh, pop music and what pop music can achieve, um, but you know, I mean, make no mistake, these are largely uh, pop songs, um, but um, certainly as we understand them to be now. But I mean, listening to I suppose Beatles fans had already heard "Tomorrow Never Knows," so they'd already had things that were uh, weird, if you like. Uh, Sergeant Pepper is not a particularly weird album. In that regard, there's nothing particularly avant-garde on it. Um, I suppose "Within You, Without You" might have been thought a bit a bit out there, but generally speaking, those are quite accessible songs. Um, like I say, I mean, I, "I Am the Warus is just nuts, and it's 
that is very very challenging and um uh blue jay way as well um is is almost pretty defiantly not trying to be a particularly sort of engaging tune if you know what i mean it's sort of built on a drone and yeah. uh and and I, I really like blue jay way but yeah it is um it, <laughs> it's it, it's not catchy you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 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 I think that it is easily forgotten that the film, uh, the approach to the film seems to be to simply showcase some of their new material. So these are um, six new songs and not much going on between them, but what happens in between them is what makes it seem very surreal and and a bit, you know, outlandish and a bit out there. Um, But first Mm. and foremost they are showcasing six new songs and there's you know we can go we can we can talk quite a lot about i think the idea that part of the rationale for that was that they decided to quit touring so they thought that actually they could create a film like this that could do the tour for them uh essentially you know that you know tour via tv uh and and get the songs out that way which makes sense to me and i think that um it's easily forgotten that those six songs are the true points of the movie. So when you say like you know, I am the war is obviously quite out there. Blue Jay Ray is quite out there. Flying, am I am I correct in thinking that's their first instrumental at this point? Uh, yes, I guess it would yeah, be. Yeah. yeah, it would be. Yeah, uh, and that's quite a unique thing. But it, uh, you know, I, I guess we should probably talk about the film in terms of the music first because it's you know they have these six songs. These are the ones that they want to showcase. And they built everything around these six. Um, so, uh, does, do, you, do you think? Do you think the film comes out of that? Do you think the film comes out of the the style of the songs? Uh, no, I think uh, the film is completely uh, divorced from the songs. Do you? Okay. <laughs> the the songs just kind of happen. I mean, so he, I mean, the 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 key thing I think about Magical Mystery Tour is like this is the only Beatles film. In which the Beatles, uh, the characters uh, in the film that the Beatles are playing, don't exist as a band or an entity, you know. So, so Ringo plays a character who is called Richard B. Starkey. Um, the the rest of them are not named. Uh, no one says this is John or this is Paul or this is George. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just guys on the coach, and then they play other characters uh, as they go through. But the the Beatles do not exist in Magical Mystery Tour. It's the only Beatles film where that's the case. So e- even in uh, Yellow Submarine, I'm not sure they're referred to as the Beatles, but they are all called John, Paul, George and Ringo. Uh, and obviously in uh, Help and A Hard Day's Night, they are uh, playing the characters of the band. Um, but and, and so what this means is that like narratively, it just sort of occupies a wholly different space from all the others because all the others acknowledge their existence and they work around it, or at least within the framework of them being a band. Um, Magical Mystery Tour it ignores the idea that the Beatles are uh, famous. It, it doesn't play on that. It doesn't sort of further their mythos through any kind of narrative. Um, and the only song that they are seen to perform as a band in the whole thing is I'm the Warrus. The rest of them are... Uh, they're kind of like music videos, really, um, that don't really have any connection to the rest of the film. So, uh, I, so I don't, I, I, I don't really agree with the idea that the film is sort of built around the songs. The songs are kind of in there incidentally. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe we kind of end up at the same place, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting because 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 I've got because <laughs> from what you just said there, there it touches on two of the things I wanted to raise, and. It, and I'm already, this, this feels inevitable when talking about this film, but already I feel like I'm about to contradict myself when we're 15 minutes in, right? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like, first of all, you think that the film is div- is divorced from the songs, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was that I felt like it's interesting to me that the footage of the songs in this film, for me, are inseparable from the audio of the songs themselves. So I listen to I Am The Walrus, you, I cannot help but think about the, the, the segment in this film where they are performing that song. 
Same goes yeah, for yeah. Fool on the Hill. Same goes for Your Mother Should Know. Um, those are just, they are absolutely inseparable. And, and, and to that extent, because of the Beatles' law and and their um, uh, place in sort of, you know, public consciousness, the film itself is iconic. Like 100%, there, there is no, there's no doubt that, that those segments within the film is, themselves are absolutely iconic. They are indelible um, as part of the Beatles' catalogue. So, I, so first of all, so if we just touch on that for now, so I think that the, the idea of the 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 film and the songs going hand in hand is, is an interesting discussion point for me because it feels like the Beatles were trying to create something that they felt like they could tour or they they feel like could do the tour for them. So it was supposed to be a showcase for the songs, but the film came after the songs were written or, you know, in what, in what way do you think they were divorced from the actual album soundtrack? Oh, uh, I, I mean that they're, they're divorced from the film in that they, um, uh, they don't, they don't happen at all within the actual, um, you mean they're not part of the narrative? Uh, sorry. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. They're not, they're not part of the narratives, you know, so even in, uh, you know, even in help, we 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 kind of touched on a similar thing with help. This idea that um, you know, when we think of you've got to hide your love away, we think of them sitting in that house performing the song to Eleanor Bront, right? And um, and there's a similar thing in help with uh, Ticket to Ride. is basically a music video. They're not performing the song; it's just happening while they're skiing. You know, at least in that, um, the Beatles are in the Alps for a narrative reason. You know, so. Uh, I Am The Walrus is clearly at least performed in the same like airfield airstrip where a lot of the film oh, takes yeah. place yeah true uh, and Your Mother Should Know brings everyone together at the end it feels like it does you know it, it's very very like you used the perfect word earlier ramshackle um, but this idea of there being some kind of climactic end to the movie does bring together all of the characters from the bus together into one room and you see um you, you see everyone together and also there's that recurring image of everyone just laughing in the room there's one, one gigantic square image of like a hundred odd people um and every yeah. single time i see that i can always pick out mao and no one else <laughs> but, <laughs> yes we do yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah. and i wonder actually w- w- whether before get back i i wonder whether i did or not or maybe i did and i just thought i like i kind of knew who mal was i guess but he wouldn't have been so identifiable to it, me. it was the like opposite for me because like... when i saw get back I, I i was aware of who mal was as a as a person as a figure when I first saw Get Back, I instantly recognised him as the person I recognised for Magical Mystery Tour. Because oh, really? when, when I first, I, I remember, <laughs> I have memories of. It feels like ages ago now, but I have, I have memories of watching Magical Mystery Tour, where I knew Mao as just a big guy in glasses and a smart suit that is always in this movie. But yeah, but 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 so there there are songs in the film that even though they, you're right, they don't feel like they fit in with any kind of narrative. Not the film that has one. Um, and and I think Paul on his uh, director's commentary for the movie director's commentary with quote, air quotation marks heavily applied. Um, <laughs> he he talks about how there was no plot. In fact, actually, have you, have you seen you know that there's that um, interview with David Frost that he did after the the film was broadcast and had such a critical backlash. But well, he's he's sort of defending it on TV. Isn't yes, he? yeah, like I have seen it, but not for a while. Yeah, so he he says on that basically like the idea was uh, why why does the film have to have a plot? Like there's there's no need for you know we we just approach this as like the film doesn't have to have a plot. That's that's the, the way we sort of approached it. Mm-hmm. So so you know that that kind of like falls into this um, this argument, I guess that um, the the songs are as much of the movie as they need to be because the movie itself doesn't have any kind of narrative or plot. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, in, in anthology, like, you know, McCartney is still, you still see he's slightly defensive about it even 30 years later. Um, and uh, and he says, look, I justify magical mysteries at all by saying that's the only place you see a performance of I Am the Walrus. You know, that alone is worth the price of admission, you know. 
Um, and he's and he's right, of course. You know, it's it, it, it is artistically valid, um, and it, and it's good as well. By the way, like I enjoy it. It's it, it's 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 a bit frustrating to watch, but you know, it's also it's only fifty three minutes long. You know, yeah. it's, <laughs> yes, it's it, it, it's not like you're sitting through three hours of uh, of, of sort of really really intense avant garde, uh, you know, art film stuff. It is uh, it's a it's a weird mad romp that, that's uh, a really but, interesting uh, point is it because i think it gets talked about in those terms a lot like this is like the beatles going yeah. full on avant-garde but actually you had to remember yeah. that a good 10 minutes of its 53 runtime is given over to what is just basically a depiction of a strip show you know there isn't much in the way uh, yeah. of um artistic <laughs> like there's, there's not much in the way of artistic barriers being pushed there yeah when you're just basically watching what is a strip tease or happen on stage and john uh, enthusiastically clapping, uh, open-eyed, <laughs> you know. Uh, he, at the thing. He's very enthusiastic about the the uh, stripper scene. I, I feel like that's when he gets most into character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was um, Paul is. I, I've heard him mention this a few times, just around this movie, uh, around how Steven Spielberg has quoted the film as being an influence and as being a film that I, th- I think what what Paul has said in an interview and forgive me I forget which one but he has mentioned in the interview before that Steven Spielberg has said that in film school Magical Mystery Tour was a film that made everyone sort of stand up and take notice yeah he said yeah we we were like he said when I was in film school that was a film we really took notice of so um, so Steven Spielberg said that That's uh, yeah so according to Paul yes yes said, well, and, and, he, and that was my point because what he says is people like Spielberg have since said <laughs> right okay because <laughs> so, because my point was um I actually think that that has that 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 absolutely rings true to me. That feels like the kind of thing that the that generation of filmmaker would take notice of that movie and and take mm-hmm. lessons and you know and and learnings from. But I've never heard Spielberg say anything like that. And not to say that I've seen or read or heard every interview that Spielberg's ever given, but you know I'm, I'm kind of relatively uh, in tune with sort of film stuff and filmmakers uh interviews and all that kind of stuff the only corroboration i have of, of that this ever had place is paul having said this at least three times in the interview <laughs> and and like you say yeah it's people like stephen spielberg people like the greatest filmmaker of all time have said previously that <laughs> yeah it's, it's some people like that yeah, yeah exactly that's as far as he'll go there is a um. There, however, I did um. I was I was looking at a few things before this recording, but I do you know I don't want to take too much away from Paul there because I, I I do actually believe that 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 would have happened and maybe who knows maybe it's something that Spielberg said to him personally, but um I I can imagine that it would have had a massive impact on that generation of uh, filmmakers, up and coming filmmakers around the the seventies, and uh, in in looking at certain sort of materials in the run up to this episode, I uncovered that there was a 2012 PBS documentary that was made about the film Magical Mystery Tour, uh, and in that Martin Scorsese actually makes the point that he, in defence of the film, he says something along the lines of, um, uh, "You have to remember that professionalism and polish and politeness." Are, are things that people expect from films but that's only a choice like there are other mm. ways to go so the the, yeah. the criticism that can be aimed at this film actually you could argue is still very subjective because we're from a from a filmic point of view actually who's to say that it, it has to be one way or the other which i thought was actually yeah. quite important in terms of like bring it back to the basics of any film is kind of like a, a form of art in itself and perhaps people could be judging it in the wrong way yeah, for sure, and you know it's a, it's a really good point, and it, yeah, that's a that's a very good way that he puts it. You know, it is only a choice, and, and perhaps you know, films like this again is one of the things about uh, the, the you know the, the Beatles in introducing things to 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 the mainstream that were previously uh, only existed in bohemian or avant garde circles, um, and the idea that a film didn't necessarily need to have a plot. Uh, is is arguably one of them. I'm not saying that, you know, it's obviously not true that no one else had done a film like Magical Mystery Tour before. I'm sure, you know, there, there were lots of them, but um, 
nobody else had got one on the TV on Boxing Day before. Yeah, you know, and I suppose this is the interesting thing on BBC um, One. I know that's laughable, but like you know, but actually, at the time, that's that is that's prime time, right? That is the prime time slot for a release like this. Of course, like what what do they? I mean, these days, what do they put on? It's it's like Doctor Who or <laughs> yes, like you know the yeah. latest Sherlock or something like that. It's it's the big flagship slot. Yeah, that uh, the BBC want they put their their biggest shiniest drama uh, property in or family and family drama property in. <laughs> and um yeah and they and they put the, the beatles mucking about in a coach for an hour it, it, it's 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 absolutely ridiculous but uh, but yeah this is the thing that um this is the story we're told that um it was so unpopular and everyone you know as ringo says in the anthology you know they all had the chance then to say you know they've gone too far who do they think they are you know but actually as with so many of these slightly out there things they did, they've sort of moved the needle along a bit, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, you know, ju- just like um, uh, it, just like we, we can walk into art galleries and see weird sculptures that don't really conform to uh, traditional ideas of art, and it's not that unusual to us now. But before, um, uh, you know, Yoko Ono started doing that and her work was sort of um, popularised through her association with John, um, you know, all, all of these things, you know, the the Beatles brought a lot of this stuff to mainstream attention. And, you know, so, yeah, arguably part of the reason why uh, you, you can, um, uh, it, 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 it's less complex an idea now to make a film that doesn't have a traditional narrative um, <laughs> because because the Beatles mucking around on a coach. <laughs> I wonder if also <laughs> um, one of the reasons why it's uh, it, it's less of an obvious argument to make that this is the Beatles as artists rather than as pop stars is that um, the the six songs that the film chooses to showcase, we don't remember them as being six songs on their own now. Um, and hmm. uh, I, w- I was listening to, um, and obviously anybody listening to this podcast will obviously already be familiar with Nothing Is Real, which is by you know uh, any means the default Beatles expert podcast that anybody should be listening to right now. But very very early on, oh, um, we're very hot on their heels, though. I think it's fair. To yeah, say. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quaking in their boots, clearly. Um, uh, but but very early on, because I I I remembered when, when we sat down to uh, to watch this film and to, to to record this episode. I remember that they did do an episode on Magical Mystery Tour, although albeit more about the the actual. Um, release as a DEP release obviously not the film itself uh, and so I gave that re- re-listen that was very early on in in their output and um, and they made the point which I hadn't really thought of before that actually this is the only album if you want to call it that by the Beatles where the US version is the one that's stayed uh, as the one that people remember so we think of Magical Mystery Tour predominantly is containing strawberry fields penny lane baby or rich man and and those other sort of more commercial uh songs i don't but uh just because the uh, the version i have is the two uh seven inch uh your so old school like the ep version they released yeah. yeah yeah well i've got i've got two of them uh one belonged to my aunt one belongs to my mother but it's got a chunk out of the vinyl because she dropped it at a bus oh, stop God. in 1967 jesus um, your mother should know <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. That'll do. <laughs> I don't think we need to go any further than that. Good stuff. <laughs> Just anyway, wait for me sorry, to work no, in. I, I am the I, water um, later. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, uh, no, but it, yeah. So I, I so I later got the CD which does have those uh, songs on it. But I, uh, but I've never had like a. Uh, I didn't realize that the twelve-inch vinyl was it released sort of in the seventies or something like I that. I think so. Yeah, I'm a little bit less right. hot on that. And I know we've actually had this conversation before a couple of years ago. I think um, about what the, the version mm. that I have or the version that my parents had that then was uh, that I used to listen to as a kid and was bestowed onto me later uh, on in life. Uh, at what point that became like? Well, at what point is that considered an original because it's not the original EP 
uh, release. I mean, you know, anything yeah. to do with Beatle vinyl releases, uh, album releases, and stuff. I think there's a there's a whole quagmire of of issues uh, around what you consider to be the original and whatnot. Um, but yeah. but I I feel like generally now, uh, whether or not you think that is the uh, the the original Magical Mystery Tour. I think if there was to be a re-release of that album, it's most likely going to contain those extra songs that were part of the US Capitol release. It, that those feel like they're kind of entwined with the the idea of the album as a whole. Well, that, that, I, I I only disagree because I'm familiar with uh, with a different version. But it, it, you're it, a it hipster from 1967. That's so. like this is no, absolutely not. <laughs> this is. This is not the album as it yeah. was intended. Therefore, I refuse to accept that any other version is the real one. But the- <laughs> no, it's not that. What, what I mean, what, what I mean is, uh, my opinion on whether whether those songs are sort of part of it. it, 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 it I, I'm only going by the fact that that's the version I've always owned, and therefore I don't think of Strawberry Fields and, and Penny Lane and Baby You're a Rich Man as like, and all you need is love is on there as well. Yes, right, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't think of them being on that. Uh, being on that album, but it's, it's fine. It doesn't it doesn't mean they're <laughs> it's not. Fine. You know, it is, it, <laughs> I suppose it's fine. <laughs> um, but but I, I guess the point I was trying to make, and maybe you've um, hugely undermined it, uh, is um, <laughs> <laughs> that um, I wonder if the idea of viewing this film as an anti- as an artistic endeavor has kind of lost its way a little bit because we associate the music for Magical Mystery Tour with some bigger commercial hits. Like, and, and actually, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking, or, or someone uh, of a of a recent generation, um, who knows how you measure these things these days, but someone of a recent generation, you'd be forgiven for approaching Magical Mystery Tour film and expecting to see Shortbury Fields forever as one of the songs that's featured in, within the film. And it, I think it's um it's not so easy to to separate the 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 film as a showcase for these six songs as the eventual uh, larger release that became quite a dominant version of Magical Mystery Tours as an album um, later on in its you know life cycle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean that that version with the extra songs on it has. Uh, a decent case for being w- one of their best albums, you know. You oh, absolutely. Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane on it, um, and uh, yeah, and you know, all, all you need is love. Um, uh, these are all you know proper blue album classics, you know. Um, so yeah, you could it, 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 that would sort of elevate it to that status. I'm sure. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think I think it's really hard to talk about any song in the Beatles catalogue as a deep cut. But when I think about Magical Mystery mm. Tour, because I think of it, because I'm familiar with the the extended version of the release of that album, or what what, what is known as an album originally an EP, uh, I think of the deep cuts as being uh, two of my favourite songs by the Beatles, which uh, which are Fool in the Hill and my, Your Mother Should Know. Which, yeah. actually, when you take away the fact that there was an extended version and actually there were just six songs in the original EP release and in this film, they're not really deep cuts, are they? That's like an entire third of the entire release. And um, yeah. uh, but, but they are 
brilliant, brilliant songs. And um, I, I guess I kind of, I appreciate, I am able to appreciate this film as something that offers me uh, a visual for songs that I don't necessarily see or hear as much as some of their other tracks, their more widely known tracks, particularly around this time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, I mean, Fool on the Hill is a pretty self-contained music video, what we get here, right? So, you know, Paul just sort of sods off to France with, I think, Mal and a cameraman, and uh, they just uh, shoot this thing in Nice as the sun is coming up, and uh, nobody is particularly thinking about structure uh, or organisation. He apparently when he went to France, didn't bother taking his passport or any money, um, but uh, <laughs> they let him through anyway because he reasons, you know who I am. You know, why do you need to see a picture of me? <laughs> Which is quite funny. Um, not just actually. Again, is that like out of interest? Sorry, is that is that a thing that you only know because Paul has said it in a few interviews? Because uh, that, that that feels like even legally that feels like that that probably didn't <laughs> happen. But it's a good story. Well, I, I mean, uh, possibly. But no, I think it seems to be. It, it actually, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you which source it comes from, and there is a decent chance that that source is Paul. Um, However, uh, it, 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 in my head, it's corroborated. I think uh, it's not the most uh, outlandish thing in the world um, to have happened in 1967. Um, but when sort of air, airport <laughs> security was a lot less... I don't mean that, like, you know, you go to airport security and they're, and they're all there, like, wearing caftans and, like, you know, with, <laughs> with like, joss sticks and stuff. So, yeah, man, yeah, I just go through... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what is security anyway? You know, it's it's just a concept, man. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> but um, but no, I think. Uh, it, but it is interesting. So I mean, if if that is true, by the way, um, I do think it's interesting that Paul has been crazily famous now for four years or so, I suppose, and um, he, if that is true, I don't particularly think of that as an example of. A sort of big egomaniac, don't you know who I am kind of thing. I sort of read that more as just the Beatles just sort of they, they the Beatles think differently to other people. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, mm. they just kind of think, you know, it's a similar kind of thing to just oh, we've we've met this uh, this sort of uh, Asian mystical guy. We're all getting on a train uh, to Wales to go and hear him speak. Do you want to come? Um, we're just going to go tomorrow. Yeah, fine, whatever. You know, it's just there's there's an awful lot of um, acting on impulse uh, in the Beatles' career. Lots and lots of these little examples. Uh, but anyway, sorry. Uh, when um, yeah, the, the Fool on the Hill is um, really kind of self-contained, and I know exactly what you mean. It is completely my backdrop for. Uh, it's what I think of when I hear this song as well. Um, but it's um, yeah. but it's also sort of. Uh, it's not a sort of crazy out there song, you know, and uh, and actually, I, su- I suppose like Paul's contributions to this album uh, or to the, the soundtrack, anyway, uh, this your mother should know, and Magical Mystery Tour title track, I think, is a sort of uh, collaborative effort with John mainly, um, but um, but none of these are crazy out there songs you know i suppose paul is at least Mm. as far as the music is concerned probably not consciously but he is sort of um uh tethering it to some extent he's sort of keeping it uh the sort of melodic uh, more traditional pop sensibilities uh he's sort of uh keeping all that in check it seems one of the things that's always really annoyed me is your mother should know is one of i i I have said for a long time one of my favorite beatles songs Mainly because yeah. it's one of the ones that aren't one of the obvious ones, right? Because you know everyone's favorite Beatles song is one that you don't want to say. No one, no one yeah. wants to say that their favorite Beatles song is "Help," right? Like it's um, yeah. you, you have to choose like the sort of the um, the sort of lesser known ones. Um, I've always said that that is one of my favorite ones. So it really annoys me that later on in life <laughs> I've discovered that that is kind of considered as one of Paul's granny music songs. Because I really don't mm. see that uh, about it at all. I see it, it, it's very, it, it's obviously a pastiche of a certain style, but I still think of it as quite a modern 
song. Right, okay. And and now you want me to validate you, is that right? Basically, yes, yeah. Because, I okay. mean, what's the alternative? Uh, heaven forbid I put it on Twitter. Ask for a poll. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Let's. Uh, all right. I won't let you suffer that indignity. Uh, no, I agree with you. Um, yes. I, actually, that's it. No, that's it. it Don't need anything else. That's fine. Cool. Moving on. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> It, it's um no I, I think you're right it, it is so the two, the two things about you your mother should know is that uh that make people think of it that way i.e this is a pastiche of a music hall standard are the video uh, yeah. the part of the magical mystery tour film in which they're doing a choreographed dance routine which is incredibly funny by the way like it's great that they're, they're doing it and they're all dressed up in like white dinner jackets and stuff um and the lyrics which sort of they sort of call to mind, I don't know, it makes you think of something like a, a, a traditional standard like Knees Up Mother Brown or something like that, yes. right? Yeah. Um, you, take, you take that away, there is absolutely no music hall in the actual song at all. Exactly like, my point, quite, exactly that. It's, it, it, it's quite unsettling, I think, that song. Like, yeah, it, you know, it's all you know. It's in it's in a. Think of how it starts. The, uh, Think of how it starts. The, yeah, the, 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 the vocals are quite yeah. kind of spectral. You know. Yes. Yeah. Exactly that. That's like that's that's very sort of otherworldly, right? It's, I completely agree with you what you said there, and and you and that was my point. I th- I guess in that going back to what we said earlier about how a lot of the time the visuals in this film, uh, during the musical segments are completely inseparable from the the actual song themselves. Like I, I, I think about this performance when I hear the song, and I guess I, I get, I guess I came at it song first, but I wonder whether the, the white tuxedos, uh, and the 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 music hall production during this segment, has unfairly made the song seem like it's part of a uh, a genre that it doesn't really quite belong. Right, right. Of a piece with sort of when I'm 64 or honey yes. pie or whatever that kind yeah, of. Yeah, which okay. doesn't seem those quite. Sort of... Yes, exactly. Those yeah, are those yeah. are basically the three songs that I think of whenever I hear that quote about uh, when John Lennon says about Paul McCartney's granny music. Um, those are the three songs that I think he's referring to, um, and I think your mother should know doesn't fit quite as squarely into that category. No, I agree. There's a lot of the of these songs that um, it, it's a, it's kind of testament to the. Uh, the the strength of the material that they put out in general that this is uh, this film and this project is generally seen as a bit of a flop, um, but the songs, uh, no one's saying, oh, I can't stand the songs on it. You know, yeah. um, you think about um, the title track, Magical Mystery Tour. Um, I think that's often overlooked uh, quite a lot as a song, like you know, as as you do with uh, your your mother should know. Um, Friend of mine once described it to me as uh, a great drinking song, <laughs> magical mystery tour. Yeah, that's and, a really uh, good way of thinking about it. I hadn't thought about it before. Yes, I, I I really like that description of it. You can really imagine being in a crowded pub and that coming on the jukebox and everyone really going for it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it, it's uh you know, and actually, it's got a funny way to describe a song kind of associated with psychedelia as well it is a very strangely uh evocative song of a particular thing like in the same way that i think sergeant peppers works you know sergeant peppers you know the idea of this being this this band this show band um and this concept of that like the the actual the actual magical mystery tour this idea of it having a bit of a fairground feel to it a bit of a sort of um again I, i love using the word ramshackle but this idea of the ramshackle tour guide feel to it like uh, they're, they're, it just it feels like it really invokes a particular scenario yeah i think well yeah it's got that in common with sergeant pepper as you say like it and also the the other thing it has in common with sergeant pepper the song is that uh it, it lyrically when um when you listen to them in the absence of the concept i.e. the film or the concept, supposed concept album that they're a part of, lyrically they don't really make any sense. Well, they, they make sense in and of themselves, but, um, it, you know, you think, what what tour are you going on about? You know, so if you didn't know they did a film, 
It's like, oh, these guys have done this song called called Magical Mystery yeah. Tour. Give it a listen. Yeah, all right, fine. Uh, you give it a listen. Okay, okay. Roll up for 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 what? The why are you? Oh, okay. Yeah, for, I mean, it's a good song, but great. You know, yeah. It does. It, it, it they are kind of um, apart from that. Whereas, like you know, the the Fool on the Hill uh, is a, a song that could fit you know on any Beatles album in terms of. Yeah, you're right. It's it's really interesting because like Magical Mystery Tour. I've always seen. Is it? Do you know you're you're closer to this stuff than I am? But do, is Magical Mystery Tour normally seen as a some kind of um, conceptual partner to Sgt. Pepper? Because in my mind, that's how it's always... That's how I've always perceived uh, it. No, I don't think so. No, I think they're more... It's more just that they they were the two main things that they did in 1967, and they're the two sort of most consciously right. uh, psychedelic uh, of the two. So, you know, if you, if you go and yeah. see the bootleg Beatles, they will almost always... Uh, like I think we've seen them do both, but they open the second half either with Sergeant Pepper or with Magical Mystery Tour, uh, and to introduce like the the psychedelic right. yeah. bits, and that and that is all. Yeah, and that is all 1967 yeah. stuff. Really, I'm not sure there's anything. It's weird, yeah, yeah. that isn't it? I think we've spoken before about that thing of, you know, it, in my mind, you know, uh, on sort of first of January 1968, um, everyone just sort of threw all their colourful clothes in the bin. You know, and just start, <laughs> and just started dressing yeah. a bit more soberly. You know, and uh, just stopped taking LSD and all the rest of it. You know, of course, it's not the case, but which was unfortunate because if they did that on the first of January nineteen sixty eight, four days later on the fifth of January nineteen sixty eight is when Magical Mystery Tour the film was actually shown in color on BBC Two. So maybe that was why yeah. that. It also received a, a critical backlash at that point because it was just four days yeah, too late. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was also the fact that not a lot of people had colour TVs to be <laughs> so you know they were fighting a losing battle. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. Yeah. So, uh, but but I, I guess going back to that point, I don't want to go into this too much because it didn't necessarily pertain to the film itself. But I always think of Magical Mystery Tour as being like a um, uh, a follow-up to Sgt. Pepper's because I think it's the approach to the recordings are the same. Um, so you have this introductory song that introduces the concept and then there are some songs. And then I guess there's debate about whether or not those songs follow that concept, but arguably, you know, you've already introduced it at that point. And Magical Mystery does that. And, and one of the things that I was thinking about when I was re-watching this film for this uh, episode is that I've always kind of thought of sometimes subconsciously I think uh, I've always kind of thought of Magical Mystery Tour as being a bit of a darker cousin to Sgt. Pepper like Sgt. Pepper's like it has a similar kind of style similar kind of music style but Magical Mystery Tour feels a little bit like it's um, a little bit more twisted and so when I was re-watching the film I was like I wonder if that's because I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily apparent in the songs themselves. So I wonder if I feel that way because of the film. Because the film, at times, definitely seems nightmarish. Mm. Like, it feels very... Like, there is there is some really... You know, just, just nonsensical yeah. laughter at inane things is quite yeah. hellish yeah, in some ways. And uh, so I wonder if that's what... I wonder if that's where I'm getting that sort of sensibility from yeah maybe you know i think um what, what i was thinking when i was uh when i was watching i'm the walrus on this is you know the, the reason um why i think this is so it's so challenging the way it's presented and the song itself is is that it sort of they've got this it starts very abruptly by the way it interrupts and what you think is going to be another scene they're doing one of these. Th- the guy at the um, Buster Blood Vessel is uh, standing at the front, saying, uh, "You know, enjoy yourselves within the limits of British decency. You know what you know what I mean, don't you? Well, don't you? You know." And they all go, "Yes, Mister Blood Vessel," and then it just yeah. starts very, very abruptly. Anything you know, and so you bear in mind this is the first time the world. Here's I Am The Walrus. No one's ever heard this before. And they've heard the Beatles be a bit out there before, but this is just full-on nonsense doggerel lyrics and 
these I always think the sort of string arrangement on it is that is potentially quite nightmarish to to use your word. It's a really good word for it because I, I do think that it, there's a lot in this where um, it you know it's it, it's mixed very loud. You you you've got these weird you know you've got the sort of King Lear bits from the radio coming in and out and all this kind of stuff. And it's, and it's just crazy. And this is what I mean, is is that uh, this is potentially quite scary. You know, this is the sort of yeah. thing that, you know, and again, this is um, Boxing Day tea time. This is on. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 right, yeah. It's 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 a really nutty decision, the whole thing. Do you know, if I, I'm unfamiliar, but just on the off chance, um, it's worth asking you, do you know if there are any interpretations um, that have been proposed for either the song or the the actual visual musical segment of the song. Are you are you aware of any sort interpretations? of interpretations? Yeah, yeah. Like as in, like why, why those visuals? I guess the visuals. I guess I'm keeping up the the lyrics, but yeah, it it feels like it's the kind of thing that I imagine a film class studying for weeks uh, and writing dissertations about. And 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 that that entire class would be very disappointed to hear John Lennon or Paul McCartney, or to unearth some interview with Paul McCartney, where it's just like, yeah, we just found some walrus masks in a in a in a box somewhere, so we just wrote a song, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. This this is the thing, you know, that thing. I'm often reminded of. Um... Actually, you know, more than one conversation we've had as part of this podcast. I'm often reminded of, you know, when you're a teenager and and you have to do Shakespeare, right? And uh, you have to study Shakespeare, right? And at some point, some kid in your class, you know, you're being told like, uh, well, you, you know, there's this and there's the there's the symbolism and what what are the key themes? What themes was Shakespeare going for? And some kid in your class, uh, you know, GCSE level. We'll, we'll just go like uh, I, I can't believe he actually like did all this yeah, stuff yeah, deliberately, yeah. right? You know, like he's just written a story <laughs> and then we're all here interpreting it and putting all this stuff in it, you know. And we've um, never had this conversation, by the way. We've never had this conversation as part of this podcast or anywhere else outside of this podcast. But I do agree with you. Like this is something that has definitely yeah, happened. Enough. Like I, I, <laughs> I think about this a lot as someone who then went on to study English literature. Like uh, this, 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 this uh, <laughs> constant point that was always made in the classroom was like, "There's no way he decided to do that." Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, this is the thing with. Uh, by the way, I mean uh, to uh, to study uh, to study the, Be- the the Beatles is, is is comparable to studying Shakespeare, as far as I'm concerned, in in terms of their sort of cultural impact. So um, it, it's interesting that there it, it, there is a lot of um, what did they mean by this? You know, what was um, and I li- I like how it's it's comparable as far as you're concerned, but not we should make clear as comparable as far as UCAS is concerned <laughs> no that is true um although although there's a university doing uh Beatles studies now isn't there uh, of course there is I mean I, I'm not gonna lie I'd, I'd bloody love to choose that that'd be great that'd be great just take a year off work making those choices now that'd be brilliant um, I tell you what it'd make this podcast a lot easier <laughs> definitely would yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just come yeah. with the answers I assume there's an answer to all of it. Yeah, oh, there's an answer to all of it. Yeah, there's uh, there, there'll be York notes uh, to all the albums, you know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you massively. But no, I think um, with um, something like "I'm the Walrus" is so uh, it's so kind of out there that it's obviously open to interpretation. Now, you know, Lennon said years later that he, you know, it was just kind of those were nonsense lyrics and he was sort of in his Lewis Carroll phase, you know? Um, and, it, and yes, maybe uh, if, I suppose if you take a look at those lyrics, you can see there are some themes in there and themes that we, we've discussed before um, uh, with, um, uh, the, with films like Wonderwall and with the magic Christian, uh, this idea of sort of, um, uh, so, uh, the sort of staid British society being disrupted, you know, and I suppose 
yeah, there are lyrics, um, you know, being a naughty girl, you let you let your knickers down, that kind of thing. You know, these are uh, that's uh, salacious uh, and also, again, you know, quite challenging. You know, I mean, there, there are things in the film uh, itself that uh, that sort of play into those themes. You know, that sort of preoccupation with pricking the foolishness of British establishment figures. So you think of Victor Spinetti, the Sergeant Major, who is fantastic, by the way, just never actually says any words. Yes. Yeah. He just makes noises like a Sergeant Major does. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, compl- it's a Python performance two years before Python. You know? Exactly that, yeah. And... Um, but then his bubble is just, you know, he's saying all this, well, he's not saying anything, but he's making all these noises and he's being so Sergeant Majorish. And Ringo just says, why? You know, and and Spinetti just goes, what, why? What, what? Like his whole reason for being has just been shown up as, as valueless, you know. And it's the same thing as the train commuter in A Hard Day's Night saying, I fought the war for the likes of you. I bet you're sorry you won. You know, it's the same thing. And um, over and over again, there's this thing of sort of British establishment figures um, being undermined in some way and having their value system uh, not quite mocked, but um, at least challenged in in a public way, you know. When you're approaching this film, as as we know that the Beatles have done or... If if you want to go down the route of Paul McCartney is the driving force of this film, why uh, has he gone down this route of including a scene where there is a, uh, a an army commander that is just spewing nonsense <laughs> out there? Like, why mm. is that relevant? At what point is it somebody trying to say this is relevant to the? film or this is relevant to the music or this is just something that is fun that would be quite good and I kind of assumed that it was just a bit of fun and um, if I'm being honest probably goes on a bit too long but you're right actually that does play into this idea of there being sort of an anti-British establishment thing where you're, you're, you're holding up this sort of typical character of someone who is an authority figure and making fun of him um, it, yeah. in a way that is, you know, contemporary of the time uh, and and very uh, sur- surrealistic um, uh, of the time. But you know, surrealistic in the sense that I think the ultimate goal of that entire scene is for him to show a crowd of people how to attack a stuffed cow. But yeah, you're right. Actually, there is a there's there's a sort of a general through line I think for that scene to exist in a in a film and the and the general approach that the film has in. Uh, overall that makes sense to me yeah uh, bear in mind as well you know the, the, this entire thing is uh a, 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 an english coach trip you know which yeah. is a, which is a sort of traditional thing of sort of uh Br- british people going off to see uh, it to a seaside town for the day or an overnight trip or something like that and taking a crate of brown ale with them you know um and um you know this is a, a, as english as can be on the surface of it um but then you know the the whole thing is uh the, the whole thing is disrupted um by the sort of more psychedelic avant-garde elements you know so it's it's using that uh structure of the sort of m- the most british things you can think of you know and then and then upending them basically exactly that yeah i think that's right and uh, and in that way i think it's it's actually quite Heartening, I think, to to think that we that that, that we, you can sort of dig out a little bit of a thematic consistency to the film that, on the surface, maybe doesn't appear to have one. Just quickly, you mentioned earlier about literally the line "Let your knickers down." Um, I had to um, uh, pull up a, a transcript from the supposed everyone calls it as a, a apology that Paul McCartney makes to David Frost. Um, after right. they call it an apology but it's it's literally just him it's defense i think isn't it of, of him explaining that actually as far as he's concerned he liked the film so why should anyone else care um but uh there is a point in it where david frost asks him um can it be a success when people don't like it and he says um he basically says that you know if if 
if he woke up and there were rave reviews, then they'd have all said it's a success and he wouldn't have been on tonight uh, talking to him. But then he literally goes on to say, but it doesn't matter all that much because people said about two of our records, like Strawberry Fields and I Am The Rawest, to name but two. They said, those are terrible, you know. You can't talk about let your knickers down on telly. You can't do it, but you can, you know. I've just done it. Which um, I, I, I like. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like... <laughs> doesn't he also... Doesn't he say, also say in that interview, like, uh, the, the Queen's speech wasn't such a gas? Yes, you know, or it does. Like yes, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, 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 absolutely yeah, yeah. makes that comparable. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny, like, all, all this stuff. You know, you, th- you think also about the, um, it, you know, his LSD interview that, you know, we've discussed uh, before in another episode, mm. you know. You think um, it's, it, it, it is crazy that this, that this narrative was allowed to develop, that this guy was not challenging. This guy was not provocative. There's incredibly provocative things to do, you know, in terms of like national media appearances. Yeah, to, you know, to, to you know to sort of like you know he's not he's not kind of slagging off the queen, but he is saying a thing that people didn't really say in public that much. Yeah, that's funny though, isn't it? Days. But but also you know, like, and again, it's a it's a it's a it's a totem of Britishness. And and it's kind of sacrosanct, and he's kind of chipping away at it a little bit. But know? but it's but I it, it, but also you know I know it's obvious, but you should call these things out as they are. That nowadays you you read a I read a transcript of that, or I watch that interview now, and it's like it's just a guy saying this is this is all I wanted to do. Like you know, like it's not you know why <laughs> like he he's so he's so casual with it. You know, like. There's his. Mm. I, I just wonder. It, it makes me think. Like, is he the first person that's had to deal with media uproar and paparazzi attention, where suddenly you know the Beatles have failed because they've released this film and it's not been a success. And he's like, yeah, I thought it was alright. So what's the problem? As in, you know, I thought it was alright. <laughs> and that's his entire defense of the whole thing. It was like, you know, I asked around. <laughs> we were in the room. And we were like, yeah, we thought it was fine. So I, you know, what's the problem? You know, like. <laughs> And if you don't like it, who yeah. cares? Basically, like I just, I don't yeah. know. It just it, it it seems nuts to me that that he was called in. He he was asked to justify something that was being called into question when it's just a um, it's, it's just a it's a it's an artistic endeavor. It's like it's like you know mm. a, a, any number of films or songs or uh, anything now that that feel that that are um decided to be flops uh by critics and then that having media like massive front page news media attention on them and and have you know we're recording this at a time when avatar 2 is coming out in cinemas right like imagine it being front page mm-hmm. news that james cameron is having to defend uh that avatar 2 um might not be as good as avatar 1 <laughs> and you know everyone's on tender hooks to find out how on earth is he possibly going to justify that this 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 sequel to his earlier supposedly greater work is um you know is actually technically as good how how can he justify the the critical backlash that the film has received or whatever you know just i don't know maybe it's just it's just the first of its kind well maybe uh, but i think also like it's difficult for us to appreciate probably uh just what a huge part of the British cultural landscape the Beatles made themselves so quickly, um, it, you know, it, it, in terms of the sort of, uh, we, we think about the sort of tabloid stories that go on these days. Um, there will generally be sort of, I don't know, at, at any one time, sort of four or five different sort of bet noir that the uh, that the tabloids are going after or people who are sort of generally being discussed or are getting themselves in the papers or whatever. Um, I'm not saying the Beatles were like the only celebrities in town, but they were certainly the biggest. And they were certainly, um, it, you know, and also like the, the, there had never been a pop group. It, it, sort of five years ago, uh, pop music was just, um, as far as the public were concerned, it was for kids and it, you know, it was of no value and it was like, you know, bubblegum and it was uh, completely disposable and no pop group had ever stuck around for any length of time. It wasn't the point of it. And so, and all, you know, sort of five years later, they're on the TV on Boxing Day, you know, and uh, I suppose you can kind of see uh, in the context of that sort of media landscape that it's like, well, we've put these guys on, 
on, on the BBC on Boxing Day and they've given us this? Explain yourselves. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And we're going to pause things there. Uh, this is the end of part one of our two-part episode on Magical Mystery Tour. So join us again next week where we will release the second part of the same discussion and we will see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.